Hey everybody, it is Thursday, March 4th, and I've decided to do another podcast called Losing Dad, Saving Me, Episode 2. I have not yet shared any of these episodes other than with my sister, my brother, and my mom, but I've come to a realization doing some work with my counselor and doing some work with uh, my grief share group through our cluster of churches that it's possibly a good good idea to kind of try to journal what I've been feeling. So since I posted last, really the main difference or what I've dealt with is I've actually... Um, gone to the house where my dad committed suicide and I was the one who found him. And so a couple Sundays ago, um, I kind of had the urge just to tell my husband, Hey, can we get in the car? Can we go for a ride? And he said, sure. My mom has been living with us since. So I just told my mom, Hey, we're going to go for a ride. She had no big deal. She watched the kids. And as soon as we got in the car, he goes, where do you want to go? When we got to the end of our driveway, I said, go to my parents' house. I just want to see how far I can make it. And he was worried. He kept saying, are you sure? Are you sure? I, you know, I don't know if this is a good idea. And I said, just drive. And along the way the same route that I took that night to go and try to, at that point, I thought punish my dad because I never thought he would have committed suicide. So on the way to punish my dad that night, after he left an erratic message to my mom, I called 911 and I said, you know, I don't think he would do anything to harm himself, but I think he's just kind of being silly. So I want you guys to be there because if he is just doing what he's doing, I'm done with it. I'm tired. I'm sick of it. Um, I'm sick of him trying to reach out for help in such dramatic ways with these erratic phone calls. And I want someone else to be there. And so... I was on the phone with the 911 the entire time. So as my husband drove me along this same route that I took that same night, every house that we passed and every area that we passed that I thought I would never remember because I don't pay attention to detail details. I don't pay attention to the houses on the road. I don't pay attention to what's going on most of the time. And that night I was in such a panic. I was in such a rush that I didn't look at every house on the road. But that night that my husband drove me there, the night I finally walked into the house since my dad died, um, I drove by, my husband drove by these houses and I remembered at every point of the 911 call that I was at when I passed these houses and it was stressful. And a few times he said, you know, let's pull over. I don't think you're ready. And I just kept 
breathing and I kept saying, it's okay, just keep going. I promise you, I will tell you when I've had enough. Next thing I know, I kind of closed my eyes, not sleeping, but kind of just closed my eyes and just tried processing what I was doing. And we were there. We were at my parents' house. And I stood in that driveway and I had a cigarette. The same thing I did that same night as the police were starting to enter the house. And I butt out my cigarette early. The same thing I did that same night. And I walked into the house. I grabbed the key from my husband's hand and I opened the front door just as the police did. And I remember them calling out, Mike, it's the police. We're coming in. Are you okay? And I felt as though when I entered the house, I had to say the same words. I didn't. But I felt as though I had to. I didn't take the same track that the police did going down the hallway to my mom's room and to the old kid's room. I didn't take that trek because I knew my dad wasn't there. And when I walked into the house that night on December 22nd, and they were walking out of that hallway upstairs, they said, do you know where he would be? And I said, why are you up here? I already told you he's going to be downstairs. That's just where my dad spent the majority of the time. That's where he ate and cooked, and that's where he watched TV, and that's where he took care of the dog and and whatnot. So I was already in the house at this point, and I remember following the police as they were going towards the stairwell downstairs where my dad would be. And... I'll never forget, there was two police officers, a woman and a man. And the second the woman turned the corner, she said, okay, okay, suicide attempt, suicide attempt. And I remember as I was walking towards the banister, I turned around. I almost turned around as if, well, no, this isn't true. This isn't, this isn't what's happening. And then I turned quickly back around because all I could think about was, well, I have to save my dad. <sighs> so the man at this point was already all the way down the stairs holding dad up. And the woman police officer was trying to creep over the banister as well as she could. And she noticed it was an electrical cord. And she said, is it live? Is it live? And I was standing upstairs at the at, at the banister where the cord was. And I said, no, it's not live. There's no plugs around here. And I said, can I help you? Can I help you? And before she could answer me, I was already trying to untie the cord. I untied the cord from the top of the banister. And I remember them, you know, justifying and talking about helping him down safely. And then instantly I turned the corner and went to sit at the top of the stairs. I had mentioned this in my last podcast of what I said, what I did. And I won't kind of relive that portion of it again, but, um, 
what I noticed when I went back to the house is that, well, A, I thought it would be way more difficult. It was difficult, but it was difficult in a really weird, reassuring way. And I guess the most concerning thing that I have felt since then is that I haven't had much emotion about my dad's passing. So when I walked in the house with my husband, I walked in the same way as the police. I kind of did what they did. And then I went downstairs. I laid on the floor where my dad was laying like it was going to bring him back. And then I got angry at the stain on the carpet, which we've gotten the carpet cleaned since then. And and I was angry at the stain. I said, why is the stain so far away? And obviously, most people know when a, when a body is deceased, they release, you know, their fluids and whatnot. And, and we had to wait quite a while for a coroner to come in. So I was so mad at why was the stain so far away? Because at that point, dad's head wouldn't even been in that spot. So why is the stain that far? You know, and, and, and my husband and other people said, well, maybe they had to move him to get the stretcher down or whatever. But, but I just didn't understand. I couldn't get it, right? So as soon as I walked down the stairs, I laid in that spot, had my cry. I walked right into his room and I laid on his bed and I smelled his, his sheets and I smelled his pillow and I kind of just lay there for a second and I felt like I could fall asleep and have the best sleep of my life. I almost wish I could have just fell asleep in that bed just for one night, you know? And I touched his sleep apnea machine and I opened up all of his drawers and I touched his clothes and smelt his clothes and and I just I felt so much peace just trying to and I could feel my husband just staring at me saying, "What are you doing?" you know, like He's waiting for me to get a trigger to, but for me, it was just, I needed to soak it all in. I needed to breathe it in. I needed to be a part of that moment of where my dad last was. I went in the bathroom, you know, where he would have brushed his teeth last and went into the sauna where he would have maybe sat last and touched the hand towel and went into the computer room where he would have went and and went into the living room and looked at the phone that he would have dealt with and uh, and then and then looked in the fridge and I and I did every step that I felt like I had to do to connect to a little piece of my dad and then instant I was like okay I'm ready to go and I ran upstairs, locked the door, so we left. Like, it was such a weird feeling. And since then, since I've gotten home, I feel like almost the only thing I took from the house was the blanket. My dad had diabetes, and his legs were often very cold. So he always had a blanket on his legs. And the blanket is full of dog hair. <laughs> of the dog that now lives with me that I've taken under my wing. Um, But the blanket also smells so much like my dad. So I said, you know what? I'm going to tell my siblings that I took it, but I'm just going to take it and I'm just going to kind of get that little piece of home. 
for, for uh, you know, for me to remember my dad and I'm going to take it home. And I took it home and I told my sister that night and I told my brother a few nights later. And I slept with that blanket that night. <laughs> and it was so funny because I woke up and I was like, oh, I need to wash this blanket as much as it smells like sweaty dad and as much as it smells like my dad it has so much dog hair on it that my eyeballs were just burning and just hurting so bad so I was like I need to wash it because it's just so full of dog hair and then I was gonna wash it today which has now been like you know almost a week since I've had it I was going to wash it today. I slept with it for two nights and then it just sat on my couch because it just was not a comforting feel to me because it's so filled with hair. And then I put it on the floor to go and wash it and the dog, which is my dad's dog, went and was just licking it and snuggling it and rolling underneath it. And as of right now, I wish you could see him. He is has his nose buried into my backside, and this blanket is covering his entire body, including his face. He just finds so much comfort in it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to leave the blanket for a few days. I'm going to let Cody find comfort in smelling dad and smelling home and smelling him and just kind of, you know. Um, so it's just been, it's been a super weird journey since I... I recorded my first podcast. You know, there's still days that I see my dad's... I see my dad's obituary on my wall on top of my computer desk, and I, I say, come on, it's not real. And even going there, you know, everything smelling like dad, seeing the fridge filled with things he liked. And seeing his clothes everywhere. It almost just feels like he's he's just there and I missed him. He's at the doctor's or he's at, you know, the grocery store. So I came home kind of almost feeling relief. But I, I, I almost feel like I'm feeling relief in a terrible way. Because I feel like I almost tricked my mind into thinking that dad's still around. I just didn't see him this time around, you know. Um, the thing about death that I've realized, and especially an unexplained death, whether it's, you know, suicide or quick illness or murder or, or whatever, something that you just didn't expect, an unexpected death, I'm... I'm really realizing that it's difficult to try to find peace in understanding why they're gone and understanding why you didn't have a moment or a time to say goodbye. And, and all, all that I know and all that I've been thinking about this last week is that as much as I feel a little numb to some of the comfort that I felt by doing what I did and going to see the house is that um, I'm finding a little bit of comfort in knowing that my dad's at peace, but I I'm having a hard time struggling with understanding 
how you feel any type of happiness in that or how you feel any type of a good understanding surrounding that a that person is no longer there and in my sense that's my dad my father that my dad who me and him had such a different connection than a lot of people and had such a weird sense of humor but we got each other Over a lot of my adult years, I found myself when I was in a struggle or if I needed advice on something, I used to always go to my mom, but over the last few years, I found a lot I was going to my dad, and it's not that I didn't appreciate what my mom had to say to me because she generally had a very logical answer and and most likely the very right answer, but when I would ask my dad the same question, my dad had the right answer to me because my dad understood me. I understood my dad because we were just so much alike, right? So it just comes to a place of i had a i i had i had a lot of good days over the last few weeks and you almost kind of feel guilty in a sense of like well why are you enjoying your kids and enjoying your family enjoying the weather when your father is gone and you have to come to a realization that the world is still going on around you and it's okay to grieve those people, but it's it's not okay to let that grief take over your everyday life. And if it does, let it take it over for a few minutes and move on. I think that's all I'm going to say tonight. Thank you so much for listening. It is March 4th. This is episode 2 of Losing Dad, Saving Me. Good night, guys.